This afternoon, we are continuing our journey in the book of Acts. And we come to Acts chapter 21, verse 17. And, and right from the beginning of this, we see that this is a, a type of passage that challenges the thought of comfortable Christianity. And that's good because actually I believe we live in a day and age where people like a little challenge in life. People, people want to have a, a little uh, challenge to reflect and to be who they are called to be. I don't know, have you ever done something a little crazy so that you could promote a, a greater cause? You know, have you ever done, they, a few years ago, they had something called the Ice Bucket Challenge. If you remember that, that it was all about uh, promoting information on ALS as disease and then an opportunity to contribute to its uh, uh, research. But they would take a, a cold bucket of water, ice water, and they would come up behind someone. And usually the person would know it was coming, sometimes not. And they would dump the ice bucket on them, and that was the Ice Bucket Challenge. But I suppose there's something in us that, that craves a challenge for a greater purpose. Have you ever done something crazy, a little crazy? I have. I, when I was in college, uh, we, we were part, I was part of a group that was invited to go to a local youth outreach center. And it was a, it was a place in the city where the, the young people could come and play games and, and spend time together. The, th the thought behind it was basically to keep them out of trouble. So if we could keep them in one place, then they wouldn't be out doing things they shouldn't be doing. But our group from, from the ministry at our college was invited to come and design the program, and, and ultimately we could share the good news of Jesus. So we prepared a great evening of some games and skits and activities and, of course, a teaching. But one of the, the skits was, um, the idea was that these people would wake up in the morning and they would brush their teeth. Okay, but the thing is that everyone would use the same toothbrush and use the same water to rinse out their mouth. So the first person would get up, he'd brush, he'd brush his teeth and take the water and, you know, goggle it in his mouth and spit it back in there. And the next guy, you know, half asleep would take the same toothbrush and brush his teeth and, and use the same water. And, and so on, three or four people did this until the last guy was supposed to, to wake up and, and look at this, which by then was a white, foamy, chalky substance, and to say, oh, that's milk. I'm thirsty. And drink it. Uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the problem was nobody really wanted to volunteer to be that last guy. I'm not sure why anybody wanted to be in the skit to begin with. But I don't know what came over me. You know, maybe it was a moment of the Holy Spirit, or maybe it was a moment I just wasn't thinking, because I said, I'll do it. And... Uh, well, I have to tell you, that was definitely the worst glass of milk I've ever had. Maybe not even the smartest decision I've ever made in, in my past. But, you know, these days we wouldn't do anything like that. But uh, I did live to tell about it. And it did actually open up an opportunity to point to something more important. It, it gave us an opportunity to talk about the mission of Jesus. And that's what we see even in this passage we see taking an opportunity to find and share the news of Jesus. So let me invite you to follow along as we read together in Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 26. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. 
The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved." Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. All right, so here we have it. Paul finally arrives in Jerusalem. The background and the context here is, is that you have to know that Paul, at this point in the book of Acts, is on his third missionary journey. And we've been on this journey for a few weeks now. Uh, he has been to Corinth, and he has written to the Romans saying, I'm going to get there. I'm going to come to Rome. He's been in Ephesus, where he's, we believe he's written uh, the book of, of 1 Corinthians, the letter. And, and, but he's here, and he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem first. And so that's what he, he, he's done. He's left Corinth and he sailed down to Jerusalem. And remember, Paul is taking an offering, a collection with him that he has collected from all these churches, and he's going to give it to the church in Jerusalem. Now, we could really say a lot about the significance of that because it's a beautiful thing when churches work together, uh, whether they take a collection or they come and they join together for a greater purpose, a greater mission. There's unity in the mission, and it's a very beautiful thing. And in fact, I'm happy to say that this church, IBCD, is uh, a product, is a, an example of churches who come together to make this happen, to give this opportunity for Christians to come for the message of Jesus to be shared. Churches throughout the world, uh, even here in Debertson, support this ministry, and it's beautiful. So Paul arrives in Jerusalem with the collection, and he is warmly greeted, Acts tells us. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. Don't you love that? That warm spirit in Christian community. I mean, I believe, actually, there is no other community in the world that compares to the warm spirit you find in Christian community. Because there are, there are things you can only experience in Christian community. Your, your, your sport club is not going to give it to you. Your, you know, your academic club, the chess club, those communities aren't the same as what happens in the Christian community because in Christian community, there is a place where you find encouragement, a place where you grow closer to God, a place where you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. It's a place where you can work out your faith. And what do I mean by that? It's, there's a place where we literally practice our faith, not like 
sporting practice or, or practicing an instrument for a, a recital. It's like the working out of our faith. It's a place where we grow in our trust, in our patience, and in our courage. And if you've been in church communities long enough, you probably know there's no such thing as a perfect church. In fact, if you ever find the perfect church, let me encourage you not to join it because then it won't be perfect anymore. You see, I'm kind of laughing about that. But the truth is, there is no perfect church. Churches are real people on a real journey to grow in their faith with Jesus. And that's what we see even here in this passage. Paul is greeted warmly and given an opportunity to meet James and and the elders of the church. He shares what God has been doing through his ministry. Verse 19 says, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. The report was received with enthusiasm. Actually, we we could say a whole lot more about that if we had time this afternoon, but we don't. I just believe that churches really need to celebrate the good work of God in Christ in our midst and and to to encourage each other and to, to really give glory and honor to God for his work among us. Well, that's what happens here. He shares the good news of how God has touched and changed lives. This was great news that thousands of Jews trusted in Christ because of Paul's ministry. But there was a problem. The problem was that many of these believers were zealous about continuing in their Jewish customs. Acts tells us they've been informed that you will teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. You see, somewhere along the line, some rumors had had gotten started. Word on the street was that Paul was actually telling people to walk away from their Jewish tradition, their Jewish culture, that they couldn't do circumcision, they couldn't follow certain laws of Moses. And so the rumors, they started to spread, and it just simply was not true. And that's the problem with rumors, isn't it? When you tell a half-truth, nobody knows the other half. Uh, and, and And the truth that you tell or you hear isn't enough to really understand the picture. So rumors are are untruths that begin to spread. And it's not difficult to see how this happened because this kind of thing happens today, unfortunately. Maybe somebody gets jealous or maybe, maybe some of the Jews started to feel a little resentful because Paul's spending all of his time with the Gentiles. We, have, we go back to this historic challenge in the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles. One group, you know, they don't get enough attention. The other group, well, we want more of this. We want more of that. It's, I know it's really hard to imagine people would do that, but it, it happens. So the interesting thing here is that in the midst of these rumors and in the midst of these untruths being spread, these half-truths, the church leaders are aware of this and they come up with a plan. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. Isn't that great of the church leaders? They have a plan. They've thought, they've thought about this. It's actually quite disappointing to me, really, because what happens here is the leadership hasn't been proactive in telling the people the truth. And so they kind of have fallen into this this, uh, problem that a lot of people fall into. Remember, this is a real church, and these are real problems. The leadership was falling into the temptation of trying to make everybody happy. Have you ever heard about that? There's an old uh, expression that says, 
You can please all the people some of the time, and you can please some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. And the truth is, you, you just can't. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you really shouldn't be trying to please the people anyways. You should be trying to please the only one that matters, which is Jesus, our Lord. The truth is that sometimes authentically following Jesus will make you unpopular, even in the church. Can you believe I just said that? Even in the church, following Jesus can sometimes be a challenge. In fact, when we look at the, the story of Acts and what happens with Paul and some of the early leaders, they, they have challenges. Sometimes those people, people who should support you, sometimes they don't. And sometimes they even work against you. If you look at Christian history today, you will see that this has been true. A famous missionary by the name of William Carey, I don't know if you know that name uh, or not, but William Carey was considered the father of modern missions. And, and he, he was in a, in a gathering one time. He had on his heart, he wanted to reach the people of India. And so he was going to go to India. There was an opportunity to do so. He was gathered at a, at a conference full of ministers and pastors. And, and he was talking about the wonderful need and the opportunity that was in front of them. And one of the older, more experienced ministers stood up. And, and the quote is this, sit down, young man. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen in India, he will do so without consulting you or me. That's not exactly an encouraging message, is it? I mean, a guy getting ready to go on mission, but, but you know what William Carey did? He went anyways. And as a result, mission was ignited throughout the world. That's why he's called the father of modern mission. Another famous Christ follower by the name of Adoniram Judson who was actually influenced by William Carey. He had it in his heart, a desire to go to, to Burma, which was present-day uh, Myanmar. And at that time, Burma was considered a, a, a closed country. It was a place with no religious tolerance. In fact, people who went to Burma either left Burma or they died in Burma. And so when Judson felt a, a desire to go to Burma, his church, his, his family said, don't do it. Of all the places, don't go to Burma. But even so, Judson got married. And, and, he, and less than two years later, he took his new bride into the middle of Burma. He spent 38 years there, suffering with many things, cholera, uh, malaria, and unknown illnesses that ultimately claimed the life of his first wife and his second wife and seven of his 13 children. But because he went when people said, don't go, because he went today, there are close to 4,000 Baptist churches in the middle of Buddhist Burma. Isn't that cool? There's one more person you might know. His name was Jim Elliott. Jim went to Wheaton College and studied linguistics and felt on his heart a desire to go to the Wadona Indians in Ecuador. 
And, and it, was, it was interesting because this was a very dangerous place to go. These were people who had never heard of, of Jesus, and it was dangerous. And people told him, don't go. People kept coming to him over and over again. They said, you don't need to go to Ecuador. You have so many gifts in preaching and teaching. Why would you go to a place where you could lose your life when the church needs your help right here? And they told him that. But even so, Jim and four other Four other couples, they went, and they, they left their wives and their children. One morning, they were going to meet the Wadoni Indians. But the problem was that at the meeting, the, the Indians brought their spears, and they speared to death all of these missionaries. Yet, as a result of Jim's desire to go, his life and death, the story has encouraged men and women all over the world to share the good news with unreached people groups. All this to say is that what matters most is your relationship with Jesus. It is your faithfulness and obedience. When you follow Jesus, sometimes people won't cheer you on. But will you be faithful? Will you do it obediently? Will you follow Jesus even if it's difficult? Even if people try to convince you otherwise, will you share the good news of Jesus at all times and in all ways. That's what we have here in Acts chapter 21. The plan was that Paul would be a sponsor of four Jewish Christians who were taking the Nazarite vow in the temple. The leadership figured that if, if Paul was seen, you know, investing into the Jewish customs, that then people would, they would stop the rumors, that they would, they would stop saying things that were not true. And they would, they would see that Paul actually was a pretty good Jew. And, and, and in fact, he was, was very adamant about that. Acts 21, 24 says, take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you. That was the plan, anyways. Basically, it was a purification vow. It involved abstaining from meat and wine, and uh, the young men, they would, they would shave their heads and then spend seven days uh, there. They would be in the temple. At the end, they would offer offerings, and, and uh, it, it was all uh, spelled out in great detail, this custom, these purification rites. And, and Paul's participation as a sponsor, meant that, that he would actually pay for the process. He would pay for the offerings. Uh, he would pay for the, the wages the men lost when they were doing the vow. It was no small commitment on behalf of Paul and something that was probably very difficult for Paul to do. Paul, who would rather be out telling people about Jesus, he'd rather be out risking his life for the opportunity to share good news, is basically babysitting. Uh, people as they go through their purification vow. Yet, do you notice that Paul did what was necessary? Sponsoring these four men, I believe, took special courage and greatness from Paul. Paul had to swallow his pride, spend time with things that didn't seem very important, but he was willing to do it in order to follow Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Paul had just written a letter to the Corinthians church just before he arrived in Jerusalem where he said this fam these famous words, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. 
He wrote these words en route to Jerusalem. Paul was able to compromise for the sake of unity without sacrificing his union with Christ. What would you do? How far would you go for the sake of the gospel? I'm going to close with a story. Pastor Ralph Neighbor tells about a man named Jack. Jack was the president of a large corporation in the United States. He, for the most part, was a very wealthy man. Uh, the corporation was very successful, and he did quite well until he came down with cancer. And as the cancer began to attack his body, he no longer could perform as he used to, and the company ruthlessly fired him. And so Jack was, went through his insurance. He went through all his savings. It basically had nothing left. And so Ralph and, and one of the deacons from the church, they went out to visit Jack to check on him to see how he's doing. In the course of their conversation, the, the, the deacon said, Jack, you, you talk a lot about how little time you have left, but do you ever think about life after death? And with that, Jack just erupted. He said, you Christians, all you ever talk about is life after death. Why don't you and your church care about people here and now? You see, you don't understand. I'm about ready to die. I'm going to leave my wife penniless. My daughter has no way to, to afford college education, and they don't even know where they, they're going to live. And then with that, he, he asked them to leave. Well, it was about two weeks later when the deacon went back to, to Ralph. He said, let's go visit again. And they went to, the, to Jack's house again, and, and as soon as they, they were welcomed in, Jack apologized for the previous meeting. And he said, I want you to know, Jack, we've been thinking and praying, and we've got some answers for your problems. The first thing I, I want you to know is that we have a realtor in the house, in, in the church, who has, has volunteered to sell your house, and he's going to donate the commission he makes to your family. And secondly, I want you to know we, we've got your place of where they're going to live. We've got it figured out. We, we found uh, someone in your neighborhood who has an apartment complex, and they're going to they're gonna let you move into the apartment. They're going to let your wife and your daughter move into the apartment, and they're going to pay your wife $800 a month if she collects the bills and coordinates repairs. And he says, and, and, and don't worry about what's going to happen in between time because we've arranged for members of the church to pay your bills until you sell the house. And finally, we figure once you sell the house, then your daughter's education is going to be paid for. You see, Jack, we just want you to know that when you die, your wife and your daughter are going to be taken care of. As soon as he said that, Jack broke down and cried. He died shortly after that, and, and they don't know whether he actually came to peace with Jesus, if he actually accepted the truth of Jesus, but he felt the long-reaching love of Christ in his life through the church. In fact, later, his widow and his daughter were so impressed by the love and compassion and concern of a group of Christians that cared, it wasn't too long afterwards that they both gave their lives to the gospel of Jesus. You see, the gospel of Jesus is powerful and transformative. That's why it's important that we are tellers of the story. The story matters in the lives of people. It's worth the cost for the sake of the gospel is always worth the cost. 
How far are you willing to go to follow Christ? Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to, to do what it takes? Even when people say, don't do it, don't go. Will you be faithful to Christ? I hope that you are. Because I, I don't know how God is calling you to share your faith, but I do know he is calling you. And I do know that your story makes a difference in the lives of people. So it is the intention of this church to encourage you to go and share the good news of Jesus. You have a story to tell, and your willingness to tell it makes all of the difference. Will you share it? Will you share it today? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for an opportunity to be encouraged in our faith. We are so thankful that you've given us a call to serve and to tell the story to others. Lord, help us to assume the risk to know that even when good and lived with you, we thank you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.